the Goat of Popularity Podcast. What's up, coppers? You're on the mic with the love doctors, Josh and Trent. No, we're not doing that this episode, but we are doing love. <laughs> oh, that's right, we are. It's Valentine's Day, people. That's correct. So, kick things off in a way that we normally would. Welcome to the Cult Popularity Podcast, the only cult that doesn't exploit the love and admiration of its followers. Ooh. Topical. <laughs> Topical. Uh, very good, very good indeed. Uh, but certainly, we're going to go through and look at one, uh, some... I guess video game romances. Video game romances. Uh, Then we'll move on to arguably the best love story of all time, The Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. And and finish things off with uh, TV couples. Yeah. The best sort of TV couples. We are going to go through and just discuss different couples that we've enjoyed. Oh, yeah, definitely. Things that are stood out and, I guess, shone through in regards to especially video games and TVs. And definitely dive into uh, The Princess Bride. We are always looking for suggestions for different ideas and different things to touch on. I'm actually taking a suggestion from your wife for this episode. And I'm going to uh, mention briefly that normally I am very anti-Valentine's Day. I'm very, I think it's very, you know, it's commercialist and it's bullshit. It's just a way to suck money out of people's pockets, basically. And she actually gave me the idea to say that I hate love so much that I broke my own wedding ring, which I just did a couple of minutes ago trying to open a beer, trying to open a cider for my wife. It was with love I was doing it. I was using the wedding ring to uh, open it, which is a cool trick if you can do it, but occasionally you may break your wedding ring. It's funny because I watched him do it earlier uh, successfully without breaking his ring. I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool trick. He's like, yeah, no, it's really good. It's really helpful, you know, if you haven't got a bottle open or something around, just uh, use the old wedding ring. It's a good trick to know. Uh, second one he goes to open, he has no shit broken his fucking I've wedding ring. I've snapped my wedding ring, which, which I'll, put, I'll actually put a, po- a picture up of of my broken wedding ring. Which um, we both had to then stifle our laughter because Trent's wife did not find it as funny as we did. No, she was not as anywhere near as amused as, as we were. <laughs> uh, it's easy fix. Easy fix. Don't easy worry fix. about it. Jewelers will sort that out. That's what they're paid for. That's what they're, that's what they're good at. <laughs> but moving right along. Swiftly along. <laughs> we're going to kick it off with uh, some of the more well-known video game couples or romances that have... Uh, True love in gaming, basically. Yeah. Uh, so we've had a few different ones here that we would like to go through and discuss. I think we've got different. We've got different lists. I do think we do. Finding how, uh, how, I guess well, well known they are, depending on how different the lists are. I guess we'll find out. Oh, that's correct. Now, obviously, the the main one that comes to a lot of people's minds when you think about true love in video games is Mario and Peach. I was wondering if you're going to say that because I know how much you absolutely hate Princess Peach. She's just such a fucking idiot. She's always getting herself into these circumstances. Like, what's going on? I think she would learn. And then she ends up fucking off to different castles. <coughs> against her will, but... Actually, I actually saw it very funny. Um, like, comic book uh, style meme the other day in regards to that. Had, like, um, Toad going through, looking for the treasure stuff like that and he finally gets there and opens the treasure chest and there's nothing in it and then Mario's just there and he's just like see how does it feel that's hilarious that's actually really funny. <laughs> yeah 
only to find out that it's in the different dungeon or wherever it was it was going through. <laughs> <laughs> she's also the worst character in Mario Kart. Yeah, she's she's pretty shit. Uh, she's not so much a player's, but she's, it seems to be whenever you get fucked over by something bad, it's always Peach that overtakes you. That's true. But yeah, so other than other than the obvious, uh, there's some other great ones as well. Uh, for example, oh, uh, well, actually, I found here this in, this is I guess a different um, sort of take in regards to Mario and Peach's relationship here. Right, and it's something I hadn't thought about though. That rather rather than just the whole damsel in distress that's portrayed with Peach always being taken by Bowser or whatever else it may be. Um, but their relationship is also about social prejudice. And so the fact that people can fall in love, no matter what well, their social class, obviously, with Mario being just a middle-class plumber and Princess Peach obviously being a princess. Very true. So, I mean, so it goes a little bit deeper, but, you know, still. Mario's not too poor, though. I, like, plumbers make good money. Also, he, you know, he collects a lot of coins along the way. He does, doesn't he? And he's got a dinosaur. What, Yoshi? Yeah. Yoshi's not his, though. He kind of is. Yeah, okay. All right. Bit of slavery. Uh, another great couple, though, in video game in video game land is Alina and Nathan Drake from the Uncharted series. Yes. They have an excellent relationship. Obviously, starts when they first meet. I think Alina's, like, following him around to document his his adventures and, and film what he what he does and they end up falling in love saw that one coming a mile off i might add <laughs> and they even spoilers even end up having a little girl together there you go i in didn't the, actually in the fourth realize game, that in the fourth game a thieves end you actually meet their little girl the little girl actually tries to play through at the start of the game you play as nathan drake playing crash bandicoot another naughty dog game going through and trying to beat Elena's high score, and then at the end, her daughter actually beats her high score. Yeah, right. Well, there you go. So, that's pretty cool. Have you found any that you wanted to uh, talk about? Yeah, it's just looking through there. I think I've got the same list up now. It's just uh, looking through the one that you were checking out. Another classic uh, love romance as well. Uh, a lot more tragic, however, though, would be between John and Abigail Marston. Yes, that is an actual, like, great love story. If you've played the second game... Red Dead Redemption 2 is obviously actually also a prequel. You kind of see the the, the tough times they go through as, as a couple. You it's know, true. It was very good, I think, yeah, because obviously Red Dead Redemption, fantastic game. Um, however, it starts off after John's family has been quite sadly murdered, so we're led to believe. That's, yeah, you, you, make, you think that that's what's happened. Mm, I guess, and so you go through all that game and everything else you find out and you miss out but yes going then going to Red Dead Redemption 2 and seeing what happened before and yes the times that they went through before what happened and then I actually I was still held off actually finishing because I don't want to die as Arthur I, I, I can't bring myself to do it because I know what's going to happen spoilers spoilers um, <laughs> so sad because I, I remember playing at the start of uh, Red Dead 2 and thinking Arthur wasn't a very wasn't a very engaging character mm. I was like eh Guy's kind of pretty vanilla, but then about you know by about halfway in, you're so heavily invested in him, and then I'm, like I started like checking through my like my memory and even you know googling. I'm like Arthur in Red Dead in the first Red Dead game, like maybe he's just a character that disappears or something like that. And then I stumbled across the spoiler that was mm. like 
I was like, oh, that's really sad. But yeah, their love, I think the thing between love, the love between John and Abigail, especially, and in the second game where there's that up and down and, and you know, triumph and heartache, you know, they fight, all of that sort of stuff. There's real, there's it, real, it, it, it's relatable realism. struggle. It's yeah. relatable because a lot of times and too often in everything from video game to movies to TV shows, they portray relationships as this perfect thing mm. where it's all love and roses and there's never any conflict. Mm. And at the moment of conflict, that's it. It's over. It's it's over or, you know, you know they, they just talk their way through it calmly. That shit never happens. <laughs> like, sometimes you do fucking fight and, and that does happen. And it gives people... Sometimes it gives people an unrealistic, you know, expectation of what, you know, love and a relationship is. Mm. Like... Yeah, are, definitely. Yeah, you know, there are times when you're going to be mad at each other, and you're going to, you know, probably do petty things to piss the other one off. <laughs> yeah, it's not all a fairy tale. That's it's not for sure. all a fairy tale, and that and that I do like. I do really appreciate that realism. Yeah, no, I, that's something that I think definitely in regards to that. As I said, it's su- super relatable to the fact that yes, they go through hard times, but they don't just give up. And yes, due to those hard times, you see the the struggle and the arguments arise what are we going to do next and 100% you can't tell me you've never been in a completely committed fully um, serious relationship where you haven't gone through those times exactly right and anyone that says to the contrary is full of shit yeah you're definitely still in your honeymoon period and I guarantee it did not last exactly right uh, there's another one on here that is, I guess, sort of a forbidden love almost. Ooh, forbidden love. Um, which is, I'm going to really try my best to pronounce this correctly. Uh, Kenietti? Or is it Kenietio? Kenietio? It's the love affair between the, the Native American lady and Haytham Kenway in Assassin's Creed 3. Ah, yes. Uh, which, you know. Shared a lot of reasons not to trust Haytham in the beginning because he, you know, enslaved, you know, her her people had been enslaved by his people, basically. Very, very Pocahontas-esque. It would have been a hard obstacle for them to overcome, I guess. But again, it's one of those things, you know, when you love someone, you love someone. And it ended up being a secret relationship and Mm. it kept so (laughs) secret. Main character from Assassin's Creed 3, you don't even find out till to, to, almost towards the end, which is a very Empire Strikes Back, Luke, I am your father kind of <laughs> moment. Another great love of... Too, there's too, there's actually quite a bit of love in like different couples and relationships in Assassin's Creed. Yes, yeah, certainly. So you've got those two. You've also got Bayek and Anatep. I think I said that right. In Assassin's Creed Origins. Yeah. They, they fall in love. Uh, and their their love's really intense. Like they don't see each other for so long because they're both off having these adventures as different assassins. And when they come back together, it's like it's hot and heavy. Like she jumps on him, they're on the table. Like it's fucking on. <laughs> it's hot and heavy, <laughs> mate. They, they fucking tear it up. Ezio and I think it's Christina from mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed Two. Classic. So even you know even like Desmond and Lucy from the actual Assassin's Creed outside of the anima. So yeah, you had Desmond and Lucy, Ezio and Christina. The other ones I've mentioned prior as well, like Bayek and, and Haytham's and their relationships as well with other with other women. It's just that, you know, a really there's there's actually a lot of great couples in that in that little universe. 
It's true. Yeah, it's a, there definitely is a lot of uh, love and romance going love. on. Uh, I think another good one to mention is The Witcher as well, though, with Geralt mm-hmm. of Rivia. Doesn't do too bad for himself. So he's got he's got a couple of love romances. Um, so obviously he's got Triss. Um, but also then there's also the weird relationship that's going on with him and Yennefer as well. Which is a very strange relationship. It is. I mean, yeah, see, you see, uh, I guess, Geralt and Yennefer also played out as well uh, through through the series on Netflix as well. No mention, no, nothing to do with uh, Triss yet on that, though. I haven't actually watched it yet. It's good series, good series. Um, I think the, the only downside I think to it is that we know that we're probably going to be waiting at least another 18 months to two years before the second series fucking comes out. Oh, which really? Is, yeah, like, I, considering that Netflix have gone ahead and ordered seven seasons of the show straight off the bat, I don't understand why there would be such a long time between series. But, you know, they'll do them. Very true. But, you know, sometimes they like to make people wait so they... You know, build the anticipation. Mm. It was a bit of a weird one as well because, um, I mean, throughout the series, um, as girl, you you can't spend time with prostitutes. True. Um, but, you know, I guess they have an open relationship, you know. Their love knows no bounds. Um, obviously, uh, I guess Geralt and Triss would be considered the main couple, but there's obviously something weird or gravitating in regards to Geralt and Yennefer as well. Yeah, so that's a you know, it's a different sort of take on the romance sort of side of things, and you know even in uh, things like God of War, where you know Kratos obviously loved his wife and his child that he inadvertently murdered, he does also shag everything in sight given given the opportunity. Given the opportunity, so <laughs> no. why not? Speaking of different takes on romance in video games as well, did you ever play the side scroller Braid? No, I didn't. It's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple sort of game. You basically just go through and you... you know, it's a, a side-scroller. You go and jump, run, jump, run, jump. Usual sort of side-scroller sort of thing. You play as a character named Tim chasing a princess who's trying to get away from a monster and you're trying to save her. You later find out that you were actually the monster all along. Yeah, right. And she's running from you. Oh, that's so, awkward, isn't it? A little, little awkward. Um, and I think you can't also mention game romances without at least touching on uh lincoln zelda yeah of course we're it's, 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 theirs is a weird one though because you, you just assume it yeah you sort of assume you just assume are. it like nothing there's nothing there to say yes definitely they are romantic together in any way because what zelda link sorry is zelda's bodyguard yeah but i mean fuck how many times have they saved the world now all the times yeah all, all of them um, but it's obviously sort of hinted at in some way that there's something romantically linked there between them. No pun intended. It's a pretty solid pun, though. I don't think there's any other times you've encountered love in video games. Mm. I don't know. Um, there's certain games as well where they do have love interests, like, uh, for instance, Stardew Valley. Yeah. Um, you can play through that. I mean, you're given, basically given lots of options in regards to who could be a potential or that you could be a suitor for. So you're given many different love options and eventually you can go through. You can pick one and give them gifts and everything else and woo them over. Nice. And if you do a good enough job, eventually they'll marry you and they'll move in your house with you and everything else and help you around the farm and everything else. Yeah. Uh, but you give you get presented with many options in that regard. There's no particular love interest mm-hmm. on what you go out and pursue in regards to what you want. So I played through that a few times and uh, 
public opinion because depending on who you choose they'll perform different tasks or give you different things around the farm and things like that depending on who it is that you eventually marry yep which is which is pretty cool and you can you know, there are other games where you can choose your love interest as well like in uh grand theft auto where even in San, oh san, san andreas, andreas would be yeah denise and then you've got <laughs> i think there's a few other ones Kat, oh, i, I think that they actually that's a very interesting one to bring up because they went around that in a very cool way because you can have you can have multiple like romances going on with them at the same time yeah however can. each um love interest you pick has their own thing that they're looking for yeah. So you, you, for some, you need to change your body type and do certain things for one of them to like you, and that could then exclude another one. Like one prefers you to be more buff and muscly and everything, whereas another one actually prefers you to be big and fat. I think something you have to actually go around and do, you know, crazy stuff in the car or whatever. To that was Denise from the Denise. Board. She likes she likes a bit of fun. Yeah. You should go like you go do drive bys yeah. with her and shit, which is pretty funny. And then that carried over into GTA Four. Where you can get, I think it's Michelle is one of the love interests yeah, right. you get in that. I got GTA 4 when it came out. I wasn't a big fan of it though. I thought, considering going from San Andreas from what it was and all the things you could do, GTA 4 to me just seemed like a reskin GTA 3, really. There was so much less you could do in that than you could in San Andreas. I thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, especially because it was next gen as well. Mm. You'd think it would have been a lot better. Saints Row as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of love interests in that as well. Still remember in the second one when Johnny Gat is in love with it's Aisha. Mm-hmm. She's part of like the Asian gang in the. Well, she's not part of it, but she sort of lives in the family that that, that runs the gang or whatever. She gets murdered as well, part of it. Sad man. And he goes ape shit when he tracks down the people that killed her. Like he fucks them up and it's awesome that is actually pretty cool i respect that yeah that's no, good shit great you know great relationship sort of dynamic in that there as well mm. uh but from you know discussing mario chasing the princess move on to the greatest love story of all time princess bride it is an absolutely fantastic movie and love story it is it's so good it's got so, such mm. good stuff in it like it really does i remember the first time watching i think it was oh, i think pretty sure it was primary school mm-hmm and they're putting it on and obviously you knew nothing about the movie whatsoever and we're like I'm told we're going to watch this movie called The Princess Bride and I'm like what the fuck why would I ever want to watch a movie called The Princess Bride but lo and behold I was presented with this great movie oh it's so good and the name does sound it sounds very very girly, very like mm. like a romantic sort of movie or a rom com. That's, that's something exactly like that. what I was expecting. Some girly romance movie, and I was just like, why, uh, why, why are we watching this? Well, I think it's part of the genius of the film as well, though, because it is the whole idea of it is you know is that it's it's based on a book, and even at the start, you know, Fred Savage's character little boy in bed sick his grandfather comes in and <laughs> and he gives the same sentiments i just went over really pretty much <laughs> he's like he's like this sounds like a girl like a kissing a kissing book i think he says <laughs> he's like, is this a kissing book you know the kid's sort of not really into it but then you know halfway through it he's he's right into it. like he's heavily invested mm. and it's just such a great film like you know the story between wesley the you know, the poor farm boy and Buttercup, who's 
not overly. <laughs> you want a name as well? Yeah, you know, it's just point out. And, and it's not even it's not even a nickname either because like yeah, no, cause like at one point name. she's announced as Princess Buttercup and maybe that, that's her actual name. Uh, you know the as you wish, whenever you know Wesley's was trying to communicate that he loved her, he would say as you wish when she you know boss him around and stuff like that. Like it's just such a great film and you feel good after watching it. You do. I still watch it when I'm sick. Like if I'm sick at home, I'll lay on the couch and watch Princess Bride. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. So. Spoilers, even though the film came out in... 87? 87. So the film's actually older than we are. True. Uh, and, and book was 1973. Yeah, so even older. Uh, so if you haven't seen it by now, spoilers coming, but do yourself a favour, classic Molly line that we use in just about every episode, get out and watch it. It's actually been named one of the you know, 100 greatest film love stories of all time. It's the greatest... It's not one of. It's the best. <laughs> okay. Don't argue with him on this. Don't argue with me on this. It's got fucking Andre the Giant in it and Mandy Patinkin. Great film. We're going to go through the actual story? No, oh, look, a little bit. A little bit. bit. I mean, essentially, it's a story of yeah, a young farmhand who falls in love with a beautiful girl yes. and they, they, they want to get married. And the farmhand goes out to seek his fortune to be able to afford the wet marriage and just doesn't return um in the meantime prince comes along sees the beautiful woman and decides that he wants to make her his his wife his princess bride his, his princess bride so he takes her away lo and behold unbeknownst to everyone else that young wesley has actually become the dreaded pirate roberts dread pirate roberts yeah the who everyone thought just thought was one one guy but it's actually like a it's a, a title or title, uh, yeah. that's handed down when when one when one retires or wants to get away from the game if you yeah. will they hand they basically train someone else up to replace them give them and let them take on the title so that they have the prestige that goes and f- fear that comes with it now here's a question for you yeah it was never addressed in the movie do you think sort of touched on earlier you know different characters sowing their wild oats even though they're still in love with someone do you think when Wesley was the Dread Pirate Roberts he was you know throwing it around a little bit nah. before coming back to Buttercup nah so I don't think I he don't. was I don't, I, don't th- he was. I don't think he did nah no way he was out there making his fortune stacking and up them coins from when he came back to Buttercup getting those fat stacks that's it No, nah, no way but yeah then he comes back and comes back in amazing fashion Basically, Buttercup's been captured by these three guys who were paid by the prince to pretty much murder her to start a war because the prince is a dick. And, yeah, um, Wesley bests all of them. Uh, there's three different sort of guys, three different skills. Inigo Montoya, Mandy Patinko's <laughs> character, is a Classic. great swordsman. Yes, and my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed, killed my, my father. father. Prepare to die. Classic line. Uh, but they, they they have a sword fight battle first. And yeah, they're, they're just in the middle of the sword fight battle. And Inigo, Inigo's pinned down and he's like, there's something I'm not telling you. I am not left-handed. And he changes hands. He's <laughs> yes. been going easy on him using his non-favoured hand. And then Wesley's pinned down later on. And he goes, there's something you should know about me as well. I am also not left-handed. 
and then they actually have like a, the fight really ramps up from yeah. there and it's a great sword fight scene like it's it really is well it actually is mm. and then he goes on and fights uh Fezzik the the giant yeah played by obviously Andre, uh, Andre. The giant. but a fun fact about that is uh Andre the giant was actually very much at the end of his wrestling career by then he was his body was beat to shit because he had uh, obviously had a tumor on his pituitary pituitary gland when he was a kid and that made him grow so big and if you get it nipped in the bud when you're a teenager or a young adult you can actually not have such bad effects side effects of it later in life his back was completely shot to shit like to the point where as big and as strong as he was he couldn't hold uh carrie elvis on his back for the scene where they're fighting so mm. it's actually a stunt double and they they that's why it's really zoomed in so you can't see the difference in size yeah right which is a fun fact there's also a fun fact about mandy patinkin andre whose first language obviously wasn't english he was from he was french he french he was french and he would stumble over some of his lines and and draw them out really slowly and Mandy Patinkin actually went up to him and slapped him in the face and said, <laughs> faster physic, to which the whole crew on the movie went dead silent because they were like, you're about to die. Yeah. But Andre was such a professional and wanted to do the role so well that he took the criticism on board and actually really poured himself in to try and fix it. Yeah, okay. Which is cool. And then he goes in and meets um Vizzini who's the third who's the boss of these two the the you know Inigo and Fezzik and uh, Wallace Shawn's uh, character yeah and they have a a battle of wits <laughs> the battle of wits yes which is a classic it's a great scene I keep saying classic but it is a great scene it it's is so like, everything about that movie um yeah like, does anybody want a peanut I love that <laughs> <laughs> is just so it's just so good um, I was actually looking through it then. I actually found that apparently uh, Wallace Shawn, like the movies that kind of people like quote lines to both him and uh, Carrie uh, Elwes as well. Like the, Carrie Elwes says people still to this day come up and quote lines from the movie to him. Um, I Mandy Patinkin doesn't get it as much, but he doesn't, you, you can hardly pick that it's Mandy Patinkin for most of the movie. Like if you didn't know it was him, you wouldn't know that was him, if you know what I mean. Mm, mm. Um, but apparently... Um, Wallace Shawn can still to this day like drop his keys and people will turn around and be like inconceivable <laughs> that must get really fucking annoying but it he's would. also hilarious it is it is um, Cause he, uh, I don't think that word means what you think it means I still use that because I used to work with a, a chef that would use words that he didn't know the meaning of and he'd use them incorrectly in sentences so I'd turn to like the other apprentice or another one of the chefs and they'd be like he keeps using that word. You keep using that word. But I don't think that word means what you think it means. Yeah, right. Um, a little funny gag. So here we go. So funnily enough, the person who produced Princess Bride, Carl Reiner, um, we mentioned before, Carl Reiner was the producer f- for Stand By Me. Carl Reiner or Rob Reiner? Carl Reiner. Stand By Me that wanted to take uh, the reign for Shawshank Redemption. That's right. We have mentioned him before. Yeah. I think the, the best part as far as like an actual love sort of thing goes is when Wesley's in the pit of despair. Yeah. And the you know, the guy that's been torturing him, the, the six fingered man that Inigo is looking for, <laughs> yeah. just takes he's developed this machine that like will suck, you know, a year or however many years you want to suck out of someone's life. 
and so he tests him off on a on a year and then does that and tries to break him and then when the prince realizes that you know buttercup still loves wesley and, and will always love him he runs down there and, and throws it to the maximum and I think he goes not to 50 or something like that and it he didn't want to push it that high and it you know you can hear the the scream of pain and he, you know it echoes out through everywhere and then Inigo hears it and he's like that is the pain of true loss and sorrow he's like I made that same sound my heart my heart made that same sound the day my father was murdered and and then he yeah you know, he uses that to find Wesley which I think you know, every time I hear that it gives me like little little bit of goosebumps because it's just so like I don't know, it's just the way that he, it's worded, it's really, mm. really touching. I just want to go back to to the the sword fight that you mentioned mm. earlier. So apparently, both Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin learned defense both left and right handed for that scene. Yeah, hundred percent. And actually performed the whole scene themselves uh, outside of the somersaults that were performed. Why did they do the somersaults? Fucking why half ass? That's true. Uh, apparently, they, so they were trained by the same fencing instruction instructors that had uh, worked on training actors for the original Star Wars trilogy, mm-hmm. which is hard to believe because there's no way that you could call what they do fencing. Well, <laughs> a lightsaber is technically a sword. Yeah, it is technically, but I wouldn't call what they do. It's not uh, fencing. fencing. They're not, you know. Yeah. That's it. Doing lunges or anything like that. Uh, but apparently they spent three weeks prior to filming learning defense and then spent most of their off-camera time, off time practicing. And then they were encouraged by Bob Anderson, one of their um, instructors, to learn the other's choreography as well so it helped them anticipate the other's movements to try and help avoid any injuries or accidents happening during the fight scene. Fair. Apparently they also watched as many sword fights from previous films to see how they could improve on those as well, which is, I guess, what led to, to that scene being as good as it is yeah because i mean inigo has been training himself to sword fight because his father made swords six-fingered man killed his father he was like i'm gonna learn to be the best swordsman that i can so i can get my revenge which mm-hmm. he does in spectacular fashion and i still love that part where um he's trying to the six-fingered man's run away he's slammed the door locked the door behind him and he can't get through it and he calls out for fezzik and fezzik just comes over and just like smashes the door down <laughs> Which is great. Uh, little cameo from Billy Crystal. I was actually just thinking that. It's like w- one that always... They always catch me by surprise whenever I watch it. I always forget that he's in it. Miracle Max. Yeah. I always forget that he's in it and he always surprises me whenever I watch it. And he's, he, he, and he's such a funny character. Like, he sort of plays up the like the Yiddish-Jewish sort of trope as well. The, the way he talks and mm. and things like that. Yeah, so I actually found that apparently uh, Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, who played his Miracle Max's wife, actually yeah. spent time... Uh, together before traveling to England uh, to work out their own backstory uh, for the roles um, and to help develop a bit of a rapport for the characters. And once they were actually on set, Reiner allowed them to actually improvise some of their lines. So it's pretty good. And I think I think that goes to show as well in regards to like a good movie coming out is when not only do you have the the producers or whoever's behind the film, but when you actually got the actors invested as well into their roles like that, it makes all the difference. Oh. It certainly does. Like, you can tell every single person that was in that film mm. loved their time in that film. Exactly. Like, yeah. it wasn't... There's no half-assed performances No, definitely not, all. yeah. Even in, you know, in Miracle Max's workshop, when Max is trying to sort of scam him out because... Well, not scam him. He's trying to weasel his way out of doing it because he's lost his confidence because he got fired by the prince as a miracle worker and doesn't have faith in his miracles anymore. And then his wife actually comes out and berates him into doing it because he's, you know, he's given up on everything. He shouldn't give up on true love. 
and they bring Wesley back. Mm, true. He doesn't have his, any use of his legs or arms or anything <laughs> like that, uh, which uh-huh. is hilarious watching Andre the Giant fucking drag Wesley all over the fucking place. Um, and then when he's in the bed and Buttercup's about to kill herself, and I think, what does he say? He says something like, there's a, there's a great shortage of perfect breasts in the world. It'd be a shame to you to lose yours because she like goes to stab herself through the chest. <laughs> Which is, yeah, modern society may be a little cringy for some people, but it's, it was it fit the role and it fit his character. It did. And, and then he has that amazing, just like verbal smackdown of the prince where he like, he tells him like, well, he's like to the death and he's like, no, to the pain. And he's like, <laughs> I've never heard that expression before. And then he goes into this detailed thing where he's like talking about all the parts of his face he's going to cut off so that if anyone sees him in the street, they will cry in terror. And it's like, it's just like, so, okay, it's like, holy shit, you've really put a lot of thought into this. It's, um, and it's hard to believe that the movie wasn't actually a box office success as well. Yeah. Which is, you know, it is, that is very strange. Um, again, another one of those ones that, came to I guess greater renown once it was released um, and available for people to have at home yeah I've got it on DVD at home and you get it again it gets a pretty good run every now and again I would strongly suggest if you're looking for something to do with your uh, significant other to mm. I hate that expression but I guess it works here get a hold of it get a hold of it's a all inclusive it. man it's pretty good it is, it is all inclusive it is pretty good it just, it just sounds so wanky <laughs> uh, I'm um, pretty sure it's still on Netflix. They, they take it off and put it on every now and again. But if it's still on there, if you can get it on DVD somewhere, well, because we're on the um, put on. Oh, I think it would have been a few months ago now. But put on and got my son to watch it with me as well, as well as uh, my wife. I don't think Lizard actually ever seen it, which uh, blew my mind. I was like, "How have you not seen this movie?" Uh, but yeah, in regards to it, it only made thirty point eight million dollars in the, both the US and Canadian box office. Oh, wow. Off a budget of sixteen million, so it didn't even double double its production cost. Holy shit! But it is it's still very well acclaimed and everything else? Oh yeah, like people people still love it. And again, if you can get your hands on it on Valentine's Day, if you can get a copy of it, sit down with your significant other and watch it. Definitely do it. Like if you haven't seen it before, or if they haven't seen it before, use it as an opportunity to do so. It's a great movie. It's funny, and it's it's a love story. It's got a lot of heart. Exactly. Preface it by saying there is some pretty outdated special effects in it, so brace yourself for that. What can you expect? It was made in 87. Yeah. Um, apparently, Carrie Ells uh, actually wrote uh, a book called As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride, which is uh, uh, behind the scenes um, account of the film's production. I have to get myself a copy of that. Hmm. I'll track that down. Yeah, right. And so apparently to help him with to recall the production, um, he actually got sent out to him a bound copy of the film's call, call sheets. Oh, wow. And then debuted at number three on the New York Times bestseller list. So Nice, because he went, I mean, he sort of went on to do, um, he was more sort of behind the scenes. He's been in some other movies. Obviously, you know, he's one of his bigger roles is Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Carrie Ells. Carrie Ells, yep. yeah. Uh, who, he, obviously, he plays Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also in, he's definitely in the first Saw movie. I think he's in a couple of the other, in, in yeah, a couple right. of the ones as well. He's, he's the other guy that's trapped in the room in the first Saw, Saw movie but after that he sort of went into a more production directorial mm. behind the scenes sort of role he was as actually, they do as they do he was actually trying to direct a there was talks of him directing a movie I think it was called Frost versus Nixon or something like that and I think that one actually came out 
it was Elvis versus Nixon or something like that. It was Elvis and Nixon or something like that. It was to do with Elvis and Richard Nixon. Eric Banner was actually slated to play Elvis, which would have been really interesting because I know Eric Banner cops a bit of flack for some of his film work, but as far as actually being able to mimic and impersonate people's behavior, he's very fucking good at that. True, uh, true. For example, Chopper, uh, his impersonations of uh, Ray Martin on Fast Forward was always spot on. Mm, I think, um, and obviously in more long-lasting pop culture impact was obviously when the PG version of Deadpool 2 was released. Once um, Upon a Deadpool. Yeah, Once Upon a Deadpool. They actually got uh, Fred Savage to, re- to redo his role as the grandson and Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool to... Well, they redid the entire bedroom, didn't they? And had him in there. And yeah. And then rather than having the grandfather read the story of the Princess Bride, they had Deadpool retelling the tale of... Uh, the Deadpool 2 movie. Yeah, which is hilarious. Definitely had a long-lasting cultural impact as well. Like that famous line, you know, the, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Prepare to die. That's, you know, classic. Everyone knows that one. Well, most people do. Uh, it's even, you know, shown up in things like How I Met Your Mother, where Ted and Marshall love that movie. It's like one of their favorite mm. movies. And they reenact it with the swords they have. <laughs> and then Lily and Robin do the same thing, but they don't know the words properly. And they like completely butcher the line, <laughs> which is also hilarious. Didn't know that um, Mark Knopfler, Knopfler, Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits actually composed the soundtrack for the film as well. Yeah, right. That's pretty cool. bit sort of out there because you don't really associate any of the mu- music in that film with Dire Straits or anything like that. That's right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Dire Straits is a bit weird like that in regards to their music production, though. Um, very strange. Like Dire Straits are an interesting one to look into when it comes to their music production, like the way that they just kind of packed it in because they didn't want to. They couldn't be bothered doing it anymore. Or well, not so much that they couldn't be bothered doing it anymore. But they they didn't weren't couldn't be bothered with the whole touring and everything else, and decided that that really that wasn't for them anymore. That wasn't the life they wanted to lead. So they uh. Out. I do like Die Straits, though, I must say. And they had a yeah. very um, forward-thinking way of music production as well. Oh, definitely. If you didn't know, Die Straits actually released the first ever full computerly, computer image, so CGI film clip. There you go. Uh, touching on that, there's actually, uh, in, in 2013, Ari Folman released a live-action animated film uh, called The Cong- uh, the Congress. It directly referenced Princess Bride and Robin Wright played both a live and an animated version of herself as a digitally cloned actress. Yeah, right. So I might have to check that out. I haven't actually seen that, but it was something I found in the research that, yeah, it's very sort of obscure, but I'll, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. And look, and this, this is actually, um, I hope this never happens. However... I've found here that apparently only in September 2019 that there there were talks of making a remake of the film. Please never do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I 100% echo that. Um, so apparently Norman Lear said that he was interested in remaking them and stated that very famous people whose names he won't use, but they want to redo The Princess Bride. So he put this out in the social media um, and yeah, 
he basically got that response, an overwhelming negative response to there being any sort of remake being made. It would be a bad idea, and in reference to the film, inconceivable. Very good. Uh, there's also, I'm going to put it out there though, if you had to cast a remake of The Princess Bride, mm-hmm. who would your cast be? I don't know, but I want to say Elwes poten- potentially had the best response to it though. What did he say? There's a shortage of perfect movies in this world. It would be a pity to damage this one. <laughs> very gold. The, very gold. Um, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's actually Christopher Guest's wife, who Christopher Guest, he played the, he played the prince, Yeah. Um, said, said that there is only one The Princess Bride, and it's William Goldman and Reiner's. Yeah. You wouldn't... You can't, you can't remake. There's some movies you just shouldn't remake. Oh, they will, Hollywood will do it anyway. They will do it anyway, but that that is one that you wouldn't... You would, you I don't think... Yeah, there's no way. Um, I think it would... In a way, I think remaking it, I don't think it would ever anywhere be near as good, and I think it would actually tarnish the original. Yeah, it, it would. So hopefully they, they never actually do that. It was adapted into a board game as well. So there's actually a board game called The Princess Bride Storming the Castle. <laughs> is pretty hilarious that is uh let us know in the comments though if you if you were to recast a modern remake who would you cast be interesting to see what people pick it is i actually i mean honestly i'm thinking and i can't think the only, the only two i can think of, of anyone characters for or actors actors for is buttercup mm-hmm. who i given her her massive stardom at the moment and her physical appearance margot robbie could fit that i reckon Okay. And Fezzik, you'd have to have someone like the Big Show or someone like that who's an actual legit giant. Yeah, you need to be... Someone has to be an actual giant to be yeah. able to fill that role. True. Dave Batista. Nah, he's not that tall. He's not that tall and he's too, and he's too muscly. Hmm. Fezzik wasn't a muscly giant. No. He was just a, it was just, a huge just a dude. unit. Massive unit. But yeah, let us know. Give us your picks. And we may even give some people some shout-outs or... Especially if, they, especially if they're asking good suggestions. If there's some really good suggestions. Yeah, never know. Because I was like that with uh, Captain Planet. We'll touch on that in another episode, but there's a few people I can think of that would actually fit a live-action make of Captain Planet. Yeah, like Don Cheadle. Like Don Cheadle, not, not like Don Cheadle. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> anyway, moving right along, you know, from the love story of all love stories, let's go to great couples from TV history. There's so many to pick from when it comes to TV couples. There've definitely been so many standout ones, um, relationships that you've loved, and even the weird. I guess the weird thing is there's also um, ones that you've loved to hate as well. Um, I'm gonna straight up go with one just because we're just speaking of the the Princess Bride. I'm just gonna jump straight in there and go to the Wonder Years. The Wonder Years. Yeah, so Kevin and Winnie from The Wonder Years. Uh, young Kevin, played by Fred Savage. Fred Savage. And uh, Winnie, Danica McKellar. So, there we go. That was a... They were two kids that grew up as neighbours, so it was very much boy next girl, boy next door, girl next door sort of hmm. vibe. I thought that was a... Fitting little tying. Yeah, fitting, yeah, exactly. Well, let's just jump straight in there with a more obvious one. Monica and Chandler. Monica and Chandler. They were... They were the superior couple from Friends. Definitely. Everyone always bangs on about Ross and Rachel. Ross is a garbage TV character, and <laughs> I fucking hate him. Why but doesn't this- Ross, the largest of the Friends, just eat the other five? Exactly. 
But look, it's obviously, yeah, certainly Monica and Chandler were a much better couple in that regard as they were not on and on again, off again, like uh, Ross and Rachel. No, they were very much in love mm. and they, they paired up so beautifully as well because they were both really goofy characters. Yes. Like Chandler more so, but Monica also had her goofy moments and her weird quirks and... I also challenged stereotypes as well. Uh, with Monica was the one that actually proposed to Chandler and the fact that they adopted twin children as well. So definitely uh, challenged the norms, I guess, in that regard as well. Yeah, and broke, some, good. broke some ground for some you know, different things to happen in sitcoms and things like that mm. as well, uh, which is which is great. You know, it, it is great to push the it's great to push the boundaries. We've discussed this at length, and I'm sure we've done it. We have we have done it on episodes as well. It's great to push the boundaries, but it's great to push the boundaries for a good reason not just for the sake of doing it exactly and you, yeah. and you could tell it was organic in this it felt like it that's was, it that it, like you felt like it was these it are two fitted, real, these it fitted are two the real characters people. as well Monica yeah like was it, the more outgoing go out there and take it for yourself sort of character chandler chandler was in a lot of ways a little more hesitant to do things and was always more a lot more self-conscious about things seemed it, confident it, but wasn't confident yeah it made sense for the characters as well for it to end up going that way it did, and, it, and you felt like these were two real people, and this is their decisions that they're making, mm. and we're just watching it. Exactly, which is you know, which is great. Not like this is what we, this is something that we want you to invest in, and we're like ramming it at you. No, it, it felt like it was you know, it was meant to be. Homer and Marge, obviously, obviously. As much as you hate Marge Simpson, I hate Marge because for all of Homer's faults, he is a very good man. He's a very loyal man. Marge's eye tends to wander a little bit. She fantasizes about other men, uh, <laughs> namely Lenny. Can you blame her? She nearly has an affair with some French dude, uh, Jacques. Um, but Homer Homer gets pro- propositioned by at least two hotties and still <laughs> knocks them back. Like Lurleen Lumpkin. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of integrity. No, actually, I don't know about Homer being a man of integrity. But In some ways, when it, when it, But when it, com- when it comes to his wife, his faith. When it comes to Marge... Marge was always the be all end all for Homer. He, the moment he he locked eyes on her, he never wanted anyone else, and that's that's what love is. Another TV show which had um, we're not going to spin off into Futurama, Leela and Fry. Oh, we can, yeah. Let's do that. I think we should actually. That's a that's a very good spin off, Leela and Fry. That's uh, oh, there we go. Love that sound. Addressed a lot. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, the end of the original series. Ended it perfectly. I believe the last episode there would have been uh, the devil's hands are idle play things. Oh, where um, Fry gives up his hands to be able to play the, what's it called, the dream flute thing? Homophoner. Homophoner. So he can play mm. perfect opera for Leela. Yeah. Because, yeah, he, that's another one. He's a very much, it's a very, it, it's very much Homer and Marge dynamic in that sense, in the sense of Fry is 100% into Leela from the get go. In that, that thing, that, that, that's where the similarities start and end, though. Yeah. In that regard, though. Um, Leela's a completely different character to Marge. Um, she she has, turns down she so many of Fry's advances. There's been a couple of times there where Leela has taken interest, like um, the episode where <laughs> Fry eats the truck stop sandwich and ends up having parasites going to him, which make him extremely smart. Well, I've always not sure whether that's meant to be a bit of a piss take um, on... Oh, it's the John Travolta film. Uh, Phenomenon. Have you mm. seen that one? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's meant to be some sort of take on that or not. Um, where, yeah, not only does it become smarter and more intelligent, but they also 
work on his muscles and he like gets a ripped physique and everything else and Leela falls for him. And yeah, then, but she also falls for that other use air quotes, Cyclops, the shapeshifter guy. Yeah, she does, but that's because she's all about preserving her Her race. Her race. Which um just just in that mention is just a great shout out because obviously Katie Seagal who played Peg Bundy on Married with Children, they um obviously do a, st- a take up of of that during that episode. Yeah, where he's sitting on the couch, hand mm. down the pants. Oh, yeah, very it's much, like, very Al Bundy. Oh, yeah, like the whole room, everything's just laid out like uh, a exactly little lounge room. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, which we could probably segue into that as well. Uh, Peg and Al, their relationship's not always perfect, but they do love each other. They do. There are times when, you know, because for the most part, Peg will run down Al and vice versa. Mm. But if someone from the outside tries to do that, oh, no, 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 you're not in this game. This is our game. And yeah, then that's when shit gets real because they both have a very sharp wit and they both tear people to shreds for picking on their significant other. Another one that I wanted out was a show with, I guess, multiple different romances. Again, uh, Buffy. Yeah. So, um, not only do we have Buffy, Buffy and Angel's uh, weird relationship, which they can't have. Quite literally, it is a forbidden love. Otherwise, Angel is going to become the evil vampire that he always was. Um, we have uh, Willow and Tara. Yes. As well, which was, I think, groundbreaking at the time that they got to have a... Like that, that 90s period to have uh, a lesbian relationship and portrayed the way it was um, on TV at that time. Yeah. And it didn't hold it back or change it in any way. Um, and then... Again, done for the right reasons. Oh, yeah, definitely done yeah. for the right reasons. Um, and then we had for a short stint there, we had Xander and Cordelia. And I think the best standout relationship, though, that was in all of other Buffy was uh, Xander and Anya, who was a now reformed revenge demon so her revenge demon in the sack no i don't know yeah uh, so she basically she, she was a revenge demon so basically um we'd seen her earlier as a revenge demon where um yeah she helps women or whoever possess this necklace when they get broken up with make a wish and exact revenge upon their previous partner so she yeah that was literally her job because she'd her. been broken out she's like literally a thousand year old demon and yeah um, so I can't remember what happens when one of the crazy storylines, but Anya ends up become not being a demon anymore. She loses her revenge demon powers and just becomes a normal human. And her and Xander end up hooking up and lovely, lovely relationship. It's great because Anya is very out of touch with just basically human emotions and her reactions just to everything that goes on around her and the way other people are dealing with things is completely different and it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, it's so a branching off of Buffy as well. I'm not really into the whole supernatural TV shows and things like that but my wife's very much in Charmed and there's Piper and Leo mate that's actually that's a good shout out so that one that's another good one um from a more modern take actually finally you should mention that one because from a more modern take modern family Mitch and Cam Mitch and Cam that's exactly where I was going with oh it is oh that is why you used that one uh they are their relationship is it's good. It's funny. I, it's good. I I actually really like their relationship. And it's really funny because if you think like the way uh, the, I'm setting this up for a segue, so brace yourself. Uh, <laughs> um, but the way that it's set up is, you know, Jesse Tyler Ferguson is very much the more masculine in the relationship a lot of the time. Mm. But Cam 
which who plays Mitch, but Cam, played by Eric Stone Street, is usually a bit more effeminate, but does at time have manly moments. You know, obviously a man, but he's also he can, he grew up on a farm and things like that, so he's a bit more sort of rough and tumble in in, in some other areas. But it's funny because Eric Eric Stone Street plays the character of Cam so well that I thought he was actually gay in real life, <laughs> but he's not. <laughs> Jesse Tyler Ferguson is, which is really funny because you I wouldn't have I would have thought I thought he was just playing a really good role. Segway I'm setting up with that is Barney and Robin from How I Met Your Mother. Oh, very because good. Yes, Neil Patrick Harris is gay in real life, but plays a womanizer on TV so it, well, very well, very well that you wouldn't you would never pick. Like mm. if you if it was someone's first day on the planet and you like made them watch that and then be like that guy's gay, they'd be like, first of all, what's gay? And it's their first day on the planet. And two, no yeah. way. Yeah, no way. Um, it's great. And How I Met Your Mother's got a lot of great romances in it as well. It does. Um, Tragic f- and, yeah. and happy. The, the flagship one, obviously, being Marshall and Lily. Definitely. They, their relationship is sickly sweet at times, but also really good. Like, spoilers, the episode where uh, Marshall's dad dies. Mm-hmm. There's a it counts down the episode the, all the numbers on the screen count as it, you see keeps in different numbers throughout the episode it counts down to zero and that's when he finds out that his dad died. They didn't actually tell Jason Siegel what was happening in the script on that episode. Oh, so more of a genuine reaction from yeah, him. Yeah, so Alison Hannigan had to break it to him in that moment. They just said something bad's going to happen and you have to react. And the chemistry between those two when. She's mm. in tears, and she, because you know, for the most part, really she, yeah, I guess in the like, same way, it's going to be sort of emotional for her as well, because he doesn't know, she knows, and yeah, no, yeah. that's and the way she's breaking down, and then she tells him, and he just is in so much shock. It's it's such a beautiful moment because there, you know, there are moments like that in relationships where you know one of you has to break some bad news mm. to them, and you have to be there for each other, and that's you know that that really helped build their their relationship as more of a solid. Yeah, <clears throat> believable relationship. There's a ghost in here. Um, ghost. That's not a TV show. It's a movie. Um, but either way, still, still that's a very look. We'll give it a shout out. Why we'll give not? Give it a shout out. Give it a little mention. A little cheeky mention. I mean, we can go on for. We really could days right. and days it's and days. Especially, um, look. I think we made we made the decision going into this. This will this can this will be an annual occurrence. So annual certainly occurrence. we can. Going we, to we more... won't do Princess Pride every year. No, we're not going to do Princess Pride <laughs> every year. Uh, but certainly we'll look at and review and find some other romances, um, maybe movie romances as well, um, and other, and certainly touch on other TV romances. And I think just find another iconic romance movie that yeah stands out above the rest as well. And if there's anything that you think that you know, like a, a romance movie that you think that we should check out that's underrated or portrays the love in a real way, not in a predictable oh, you know, she's the ugly girl, but then she actually, you know, gets a makeover and now she's the hot girl, now that you love crap, like an actual real love story, uh, you know, let us know Mm. and we'll, you know, we'll we'll store that information. Especially one where, yeah, like where the romance is relatable, where it's more believable that that is the way that a relationship would happen rather than this fairy tale bullshit. Oh, no, 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 we just we just did the Princess Bride, and that is exactly what that, that, that was. Is but an actual that fairy is an exception. That but... is an exception because yes, it one, it is a fairy tale, and two, 
that was the whole premise of the thing starting off. It's from a book, yes. It's actually from a, you know being read from a book. Um, and there are a, great, a lot of great films out there that do that. For example, uh, What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but panned by a lot of people. A lot of people didn't like it. Mm. But it's basically the story of it is Guy loses his wife and kids in a car accident and he also Tragic. dies. Um, and then he's in limbo for a little while and then goes to heaven. Hmm. And in heaven, he realizes that his wife... No, he, he dies in the car accident with his kids, sorry. And the wife's left behind. Hmm. And while in heaven, he realizes that... He finds out that she died, but she's not there and he doesn't know why. And she killed herself because she couldn't deal with uh, being she the lost. She would have gone to hell. Yeah. So he actually goes to hell, which is like massively taboo in the... The, the, the people that have made it. The framing of, of the, yeah. the world. And wow. goes in there and brings her back because he loves her that much. Wow. And it's really touching. Like, it's actually a really well-made movie. So, that's one to check out. But, yeah, hit us up with the suggestions. And Yeah, uh, certainly. Give us some give us some more couples. We didn't mention them that you think should have been should have been touched on today. We may have left a few out intentionally, so we've got some material for next it's year. It's true. But if you think there was something we should have gone through... Or that you, you would have liked to have us to give you our opinion on? Leave it in the comments. Leave it in the comments. Let us know. Mm, but this has been a special Valentine's Day episode from the Cult of Popularity podcast. You may now tune out your radios. Cop that.